Namaste. So uh, this is a subject, perfect subject for a perfect day uh, on Shirvindo's birthday, God's own example. So there are several ways that uh, the divine acts upon earth and humanity. The most common is that he pushes us from behind through our ignorance giving us apparent freedom of choice. Because if there is an absolute freedom of choice, then given the state of our ignorance, things are quite likely to turn out to be a disaster. It's a different thing that man insists on freedom of choice. And so he says, okay, fine. Uh, At one place, the mother did remark that as soon as human beings were given this freedom of choice, they ended up uh, siding with the Asuric forces. So this is why, because in ignorance we make the choice. So what the divine does is, he stays behind and he pushes us. So we act in our ignorance, we go through the consequences, we learn and centuries and millenniums pass. And for nature, for the divine, it's nothing. It's the twinkling of an eye. So this is how much of divine action goes through. It's painful, it's full of struggle. Quite a bit of suffering is involved in it. This one way. But during this process, time to time, there are some kind of representatives of the divine who come, whom we know as saints, yogis, masters. And they come to cushion us as we move through this difficult, dangerous, perilous journey of evolution. So these are the two ways that we are aware of. One is that he acts from behind, pushing us through our ignorance And letting us learn through consequences and this leads to pralayas and resurgence of the cycles. We, of course, um, have chosen for that process, but it's obviously painful. But during this phase, he sends emissaries, messengers, uh, saints, sages who help us through this journey and they are that they represent, manifest the divine compassion. So, Shivindu speaks of these two things. One is the law, the law of evolution. And the second is divine compassion, which is manifested through these beings who teach us, who show us an easier, simpler, better way. And their physical presence also helps cushion the fall. As uh, it is said in Indian lore that never has there been an age of mankind when Uh, There has not been various representatives and masters who help us go through the journey. So this is compassion, the law and the compassion. But there is a third action of the divine and that is grace. Now grace is something which is other than compassion. Compassion enters into the law, net of law and it helps us through the net. Grace can completely cut the whole net and release us from that whole process. So, grace is there always, but the action of grace is a very powerful action. And there are moments when the divine, instead of being behind, instead of being as a master or a uh, representative guru, sage, saint, he steps into the forefront and embodies the divine grace. And these in Indian thought are known as avatar. This concept is there even in ancient Christian thought, but it has been lost. So the avatar is somebody who steps in the forefront. And he takes the reins of nature, not leaving it to human beings. Because humanity has entered a very critical, crucial phase. Now if it is left to human beings, they are likely to uh, totally mishandle. Why does he allow human beings to take the rain in the beginning? It's because all evolution has to be like that. Evolution by its very nature, it cannot be playing with automatons and puppet show. It's a real show in real time. So human beings are allowed. But there are moments when the journey enters very crucial and critical phases, which is known in uh, the Gita as Dharma Siglani. So Dharma Siglani is not about religion going down, but Dharma. That which upholds this creation, that goes into the background and human beings begin to act more and more by their vital self-will. This is the real sense of Dharma Siglani. 
when we act with this idea that there is the divine foundation and there is the divine truth and we have our individuality but our individuality is in the context of this larger backdrop of truth it is not dharma siglani it's an individual efflorescence individuals have to act based on their individuality but when i regard my life as separate from this divine truth and its unfolding and if more and more of that kind of life increases which is what is known as vital self will and mental thoughts and ideas and idealism then there is a dharma siglani because i have forgotten this baseline truth so during such critical moments the divine steps into the forefront takes the reins of the cosmic force gives it the direction that is needed and steers it through so that is known as the avatar and the avatar has a threefold action one is the silent occult action as we know shurbindo's own presence during this entire period from 1872 to 1973 if you really see the mother and shurbindo it's literally 100 101 years together they are one and during this 100 years the entire uh, the road and path through which humanity was traveling took a different course by its past momentum it entered into two goriest of wars that we could ever imagine because that was the momentum towards which things were building up and by their presence despite this even this was eventually turned to a divine advantage but despite all this humanity eventually took a turn for the better not that wars have gone away completely that is too much to expect so wars have always been there but the kind of war the kind of conflict that took place in the first and especially the second world war where there was complete deception falsehood now wars are different wars have become means of exposure of uh, you know human misdeeds and what is what what was working behind those things come to the forefront and wars are there for different reasons but not that kind of war which could have completely stifled the growth of humanity and probably taken it centuries behind that's what we see even during the mahabharata war but this time it was much more so one is a silent occult action which goes unseen just like krishna on the battlefield of kurukshetra acts and none knows except perhaps arjuna that actually that it's not just the reins of my chariot but the reins of humanity at this juncture that are in the hands of krishna so to very few people knew shobindo's silent occult action during india's freedom struggle and during the two great wars so that's one kind silent occult action that divine the avatar does not need to advertise when mother was asked about this she said well if i am god if i am the avatar the denial of the entire humanity doesn't make a difference and if i am not then the acceptance of the whole humanity doesn't make a difference and when people wanted her to you know to spread and you know sometimes the propaganda spirit she said the sun does not need to advertise it shines in its splendor all that is needed is people who open their eyes they see it those who are asleep are asleep too late <laughs> you miss the bus but there are others who see it and move forward so this is the silent action the avatar calls also silently he does not start giving mantra diksha and any kind of diksha he calls and there are beings upon earth who are ready for the next step and they are called by the avatar and he carries them so this is one action of the avatar the divine in humanity the second action is that he gives a teaching that will steer humanity through the next level so we see very interestingly and this was i used to wonder shri krishna gave the geeta and that's a time when the age is changing from dwapar to kalyug so if you see it's going down so what was really the action so it's very interesting when you see shri krishna's actions shubhendra speaks of it in bangla writings that because of shri this had to come in the evolutionary process of things kalyug is when you work on matter there is denseness there is obscurity there is darkness unconsciousness because that's where humanity has to descend and work there has to be need for each age there is a working so in the satyug it's the on the soul and the spiritual consciousness 
in Trita there is the mind, so you have all these darshanas and Upanishads and in Dwapar it is on the hero, it's a heroic age, on the vital and in Kalyuga it's on matter and the physical stuff. So because Sri Krishna came at the end of Dwapar and the beginning of Kalyuga, we see that his presence alone acted for next 4000 years, almost 4500. Because of his presence, he has physically withdrawn. But because of his presence, we see that for a long period, both India and the destiny of the world remains guarded. And Shubhindu gives this example in the context of India, that through the Mahabharata, Sri Krishna saved India. And then he gives example of countless kings who kept on because of the force that he had released in this earth atmosphere. That countless kings guarded this great uh, Indian peninsula where the dharma, Sanatan dharma had to blossom and prosper. And actually if you see, and he gives the names of kings right up to, you know, Chandragupta Maurya, King Porasan, they were all very interesting. If you look at their lives, they look like, you know, Rajyogis or uh, Rajrishis. They are not ordinary human being at all. And then subsequently, the last bit of Sri Krishna's action is almost begins to be over as Rani Lakshmi buys on the pyre the last sparks. So you see, that's the time when there is dense night. That's when the avatar comes. So, in 1857, with the Sipai Muti and with the Rani Lakshmi Bai and all these people who combined together and they were defeated. And with the last sparks of Rani Lakshmi Bai, Sri Krishna's action comes to almost a finishing halt. Who carries the mantle during that period? Sri Ramakrishna Paramans. He holds the mantle. But 1886, we know that Sri Ramakrishna Paramans also withdraws placing in front of him Swami Vivekananda. But there is a big period when India lies low and fallen, 50 years almost. That's when Shurabindra and the mother are rising, the son of Shurabindra and the mother. So, the Gita sustained human momentum till this time. So much happened during this period. Lot of action was happening. No newspaper were reporting. What we have are distorted versions of history. Every person writes his own history. (laughs) So then, now... During this period, a new darkness and a new light, that is the possibility which came up. And humanity had to now go through a new evolutionary phase. So Krishna gave the Gita to steer mankind through the entry of Kali Yuga and its dense darkness. And now a new age is going to come and there will be another era of confusion. But it's a different kind of confusion. So there are two kinds of confusions that come in the human mind. Once, one when the light is plunging towards darkness and the other is when there is total darkness and light has not yet arisen but it is going to emerge. See, these are the two periods. Wake up at 2.30 in the night and very often people are pretty confused. <laughs> so uh, that's the time when there are maximum attacks. Elderlies are prone to falls. They are prone to have... Cerebrovascular accidents, heart attack and all the lot Because that's a time when the new age has not The new sun has not yet arisen fully and But the decision has taken From 12 o'clock midnight the time has changed It's a different day But the sun is yet to come So there is a period of confusion during which Something else has to be given to mankind So the avatar gives that teaching Just like the Gita of Sri Krishna the, What he gives is uh, with regard to Shirobindo, apart from many, many works that he gave, he didn't want to give just one teaching, many, many works, but most important work, Savitri. Savitri is literally the invocation of the sun when it is emerging out of darkness. So there are different names of the sun given in Sanskrit. So the name Savitri is given, Savitu, is the sun which is emerging out of the cave of darkness. So he gave in our hand Savitri to steer mankind through this passage through this second kind of confusion. So, something similar, Sri Krishna gave the Gita, Sri gave Savitri. But, the third action of the divine, these are the two actions, silent occult action, he gives a scripture for the age, that's why the mother, mother said, Savitri is the mantra of transformation, it is the book of the future, everything that is going to happen is there, the path humanity will follow, all the different ways, everything has been given there that mankind needs to ever know. 
So if we have to launch into the new creation, if there is nothing else with us, keep a book of Savitri. The rest will be taken care of. You know, <laughs> I was always impressed by this story of uh, Shackleton who did the first uh, um, adventure to Antarctica. So his, the name of his ship was Endurance. His grandmother had suggested that name. And the ship never really reached Antarctica because it was hit by the um, ice, um, yeah, icebergs. And for one and a half years, they were all stranded. They were not the days or perhaps even the mobile tower wouldn't be there. They didn't know how to communicate. So they had to empty away all the cans and containers because the ship was sinking. So they can keep only limited amount on the ice slab. Because ice slab will also melt sooner or later. It will crack. So he ordered them that, look, you know, keep only the bare minimum. So they had to do many, uh, you know, things which were not very pleasant. But many of them who had faith in God, they didn't want to part with the Bible. Understandable. But what a beautiful thing, you know. So Shackleton had to set an example. He took the Bible took those pages which were necessary, tore them up, kept it in his pocket and threw the rest. No, because he knew that these will sustain me through this difficult period and he is regarded as really the best captain though he never made it, yet none died. <laughs> so after one and a half years, everybody was rescued thanks to his, uh, you know, perhaps the faith in God and kept by his side. So Shivinda has given us this uh, wonderful book for the age which is dawning upon mankind. But as I said, there is a third action also which the avatar does and that is at once occult as well as manifest action. It is by setting his own example. Shubindu emphasizes this in the Gita quite a lot. He says God's own example and the context is when Arjuna says, why should I do works? Why should I work at all? Because mankind takes these two things. God does everything. Why should I do works? Second is, there is this idea in Indian thought that, well, works are inferior, meant only for you to reach a point where you become illuminated in jnana and therefore you don't need to do works. This is a kind of thought which prevails even now. There is this tendency to regard works as inferior. Very unfortunately, none of the scriptures speak about it, but there is a tendency. So, uh, Arjuna says, why should I engage in works when I have the jnana? He says, before doing works, you must have the knowledge. Blind doing of works doesn't lead us anywhere. So, when Arjuna says, okay, you are asking me to work, but how? He says, first you withdraw inwardly and upwardly and discover knowledge. So, Arjuna says, I am totally confused now. You want me to act or you don't want me to act? His confusion is not to be or not to be. That comes later. He says to act or not to act. He says act but on the basis of jnana. So first thing to be conquered is knowledge. Then act. But knowledge itself is conquered through works. And then fill the heart with love. Then the action is perfect. This is the teaching of the Gita. So Sri reminds us when Arjuna says you are asking me to have knowledge then you are asking me to act. Aren't you confusing me? Why should a man who has the knowledge act, his need of action is over because he is moved by these ideas of karma. And that is the time when um, Sri Krishna tells him, see there is nothing in this world or any other that I have to act for. Why? Because normally we act in an egoistic manner for selfish ends. So Sri Krishna says there is nothing which I need or desire, yet I act. I not only impel men in the path of action, I act myself. Because if I were not to act, these worlds would go to perdition. And Shubhinda speaks of it as God's own example. With that view, when we look at Shubhinda's life, so very often, you know, there are two, three ways of entering into Shubhinda's yoga. One of them is just reading about his life. So when we read about his life and dwell in that, it's like Ramayana, Bhagavatam, if you read, you, you understand from a different perspective. And more importantly, when we read their life, we develop a spontaneous bhakti, which is very different from just reading the books. When we read the books, we try to follow the scripture. 
we forget that the one who gave the scripture is always greater than the scripture. It's plain logic because the scripture is a child. He could bring out hundred more scriptures. When Shrubindu was asked about this, that you have given so many things, you have given the entire knowledge, he said, no, only 10% of it I have given. And Niruddha asked that, why don't you give the rest? He said, let mankind be ready for this much. So, Shurabindo would always be, that's why when Mother was asked about Shurabindo's writings, she said, who can understand Shurabindo? He is as vast as the universe and his teaching is limitless. The only way to come a little close to him is to love him and serve him unconditionally uh, un, and give yourself unreservedly to his work. So this is the path. So Shurabindo, we see in his life, Many such things which we casually pass off as, you know, we, we know it, but uh, we don't put a little star, as they say, that, you know, starred message. So one of them, for example, when we look at Shurabindu's life in Baroda, what is the example he has set for us? Very high benchmark. We see that Shurabindu, right from the time he has come, his whole life, there is not a trace that one will find of selfishness or egoism when people ask him about himself. What is he doing? You know, people wanted to say that he was the secretary to Maharaja because being a secretary is a big thing. He said, no, no, no. I was in the land department. He is not keen, oh, I was the secretary to the Maharaja. It's a different thing that the Maharaja would often call him and consult him. That's a different thing altogether. And everything with that perfection and accuracy. He is earning quite a lot of, quite a bit of money in that time. But what does he do with that money? He is helping even in his house. He would keep it in an open bowl and people will come and take whatever they need. And whatever is left, he would say, it is meant for me. This is exactly what the Gita speaks of. That those who do the offerings and take what is left, left over, this is the word. All the rest are thieves. So these are the ones who are doing it in the spirit of yagna. So literally in his life we see that it was like a yagna that he was performing. His wife would ask him how beautifully he would reply that it's not just one family. The entire so many millions, they are knocking at my door. I have the strength to raise this fallen race. At the same time he says, they seek my help. Should I say no? And then he says something very beautiful. That so far I have given two annas to God and kept 14 annas with myself. And I feel like a thief. I should give the entire thing to God. So when we look at just his Baroda period, everything, the high noble temperament, he would, the way he, he could have afforded a very luxurious house. But he would live with a mat on the floor. And when Dinant Kumar Roy asked him that he was expecting a suited, boated gentleman. He was gentleman, of course, the perfect gentleman. If you read about Shirvindo's many aspects of life, you feel what the ancient Aryan type would have been. His speech, soft-spoken, he was never known to have raised a word except once. When somebody was saying things about the mother, Shirvindo simply said, Who is he? And there was a total silence in the courtyard. Another time when he was pushed by in the jail and he just looked and that was enough and the jailer ran away because he, you know, he, was, he said anger was foreign to my temperament. These are Shurabindu's words. How many occasions would have come? You are being taken by, you know, all kinds of charges are being put against you. You are taking to the jail. But anger is foreign to his temperament. What does he do when he is in jail? When we just look at that, he is not, uh, you know, complaining to God. We are very quick at complaining. In fact, after all the things that we have provided, still we complain. We have mastered the art of complaining. And Shobindu says that there was a little doubt. What was the doubt in his mind? He says, I had asked you to protect me only till India gets free. Not protect me for my own sake. I wanted India's freedom and I just wanted you to protect me. That's all. Nothing else I want. So how come I am here? And then... The divine tells him, wait and see. And he waits. And for two, three days, there is an unsteady condition. And then everything becomes quiet. If ever in life we have a problem, I mean, if ever is, uh, let me put it, that life does bring, 
its uh, you know uh, share of problems burden of cross and during this corona period people were confined and there was a difficult time for many people so i used to feel and of course i have shared this we should read shrivindo's tales of prison life how he has dealt with that situation where he is isolated where this sword is hanging over his head whether he'll be deported to andamans or he will be uh, you know hanged these were the two possibilities because they had known that shrivindo is the most dangerous man the british empire knew that if he is there there is risk and danger because he could answer them in their own language and yet we see that shubindu is left and in that state when he was all alone in that jail instead of lamenting instead of complaining instead of going into depression to which we are all so prone he was turning it into a opportunity to intensify the yoga yoga had already started just before that then we see another very interesting beautiful example what simple childlike trust he is going in the carriage and suddenly we see that the godhead that poem where suddenly the reins of the horse are stopped and he is saved now we all experience these things we don't see the godhead but we are very quick to explain it on very natural ways but shurabindo knows that it is the divine who has intervened and saved me it is not just an ordinary eye with which he walks on parvati hills and suddenly he has the vision of the mother there is a beautiful poem on that the hill top temple and the other when he is walking on of course the other one is world mother which is on uh, narmada when he goes to kali temple or when he is walking on the takht e suleiman the seat of solomon now you see what is his example we when we go oh this is so beautiful this is so lovely no no harm with that but suddenly a door opens through nature when we move through nature a door may open and the door is not just the vision of the uh, physical beauty but of the divine presence which is behind and because he is in that state suddenly he comes in contact with the infinite that's that's his experience which he describes in the poem advaita where he, he experiences experiences the infinite on on the mental grounds so we see what a difference in the way anything that shubindu took up another thing which his own life teaches us um two things with which he was known is tyaga and tapasya he was known most people used to call him tyagarajan so why he was called tyagarajan he could readily renounce without feeling that he is renouncing anything and what he didn't renounce from baroda he shifts to calcutta his entire salary goes for almost zero it drops and he's fine but that college for which he has come look at shubindu's life just a series of renunciation and then when he comes there there is this case sedition charge so on his own he resigns from baroda college and not baroda um, the bengal national college why because there is a charge of against him so he knows that this is not a valid charge but he resigns why because he doesn't want college to be attacked it's worth reading that speech during his last speech when he gives to the students in the bengal uh, college he says you all sympathize with me see how different it is from us if we are suffering for something we want to ga- gain sympathy of people but what does he says you you have gathered here to sympathize with me but i would much better much more like if you sympathize with the cause for which i stand because it's not about me i will come and go but the work must go on and what is that work he explains and describes the need for india's resurgence that if you go out you you think of the mother country as mother live for her this is the moment that destiny has placed before you who could do that so he renounces completely that moment doesn't look back then when you see his ways of thought ways of life how easily he could renounce 
people often you know speak of shirobindo as a philosopher and thinker and this has been one of the biggest blocks in our own understanding of who shirobindo is we can never understand him but look at shirobindo's as a bhakta sounds very strange as read his aphorisms on bhakti but shirobindo meets lele so what does lele tell him sit and see thoughts are coming to you and you push them away shubhendu sits and pushes them away now this we have read but what strikes me there is shubhendu's complete obedience and surrender to his guru and he says that when he was asked that oh you achieved nirvana in this way he says no it didn't come by my own effort it came by the grace of the guru or krishna and kali if you like he just sits guru has told me to sit so that's why in later on we see in his letters shobindo so many times emphasizes the need of obedience to the master this is something which in modern age we just don't understand and he just sits says okay you have told me this i'll do it and then even that he so so easily he renounces when the master tells him or lele maharaj tells him he says i have to speak how will i speak he says can you surrender to the divine within your heart he says yes so you stay quiet stand before the crowd do namaskar say to narayana that you see the narayana in all and then you speak you see shobindo says okay and he speaks anyone else would have asked 10 questions sir but if this happens sir what if that happens sir if <laughs> like a child see that aspect of shobindo like a child he is at once bal gopal and chakrat pani So he says, "Okay." He stands before the crowd, inwardly bows down, and Narayana speaks through him. The divine speaks through him. After that, when he comes from the jail, he is to meet his wife. But by then, Shurvinda has gone far ahead. Even before, he was a grahasth brahmachari. So they have arranged a very nice. Um, and Shurvinda's renunciation was not ostentatious. So the people are playing cards. He's sitting there and reading a book. He's not saying, "Oh, this is bad," and I'm going to run away from. No, he was sitting with them, and he is reading a book. And within half an hour, he finishes it. And people ask him that, "Well, have you really finished?" "Yes, I have finished." "Can you recount, recall?" So they randomly open a page, and Shurvinda could read. Tell the entire page. How did this capacity come in? Shubhendu speaks of Brahmacharya, but he is a married person. So look at how he he was living his life. That when he comes out of jail, they have all arranged a meeting between him and Milani Devi. So all these friends have planned. So Milani Devi, his wife, has come there, and he has to go and spend the night. And they have told him, "You go. We have arranged a meeting. You have dinner there, and all." And quietly, these friends have told, "You know, today tonight he will not come back. So lock the gate." He tells the, uh, you know, watchman, uh, the friends, and even Charu Chandath, his wife, uh, tells him, "Oh, you are wearing a nice kurta. This will look very nice, all you know." And Shrivinda very quietly, like a child, wears all this and goes for dinner. So they all get up little late, relaxed because you know, Shrivinda will come later. So suddenly, when they go up, they see Shrivinda sitting <laughs> with a cup of tea <laughs> and with a newspaper in hand. So they ask, "What happened?" He says, "No, nothing. I came back last night. I told the watchman I'll come back." So they are now perplexed. So he says, "Well, I explained to Mrilani, and she understood what he explained, what she understood, and so casually he has told all this. If you look at his life, and then at the call adesh one of the things that is so remarkable in shubhendu's life is the power of surrender to the divine and the implicit obedience that's why someone when they were asked to give example of surrender in the context of the ashram so an old sadhak was bit they say deranged but he spoke of the sinest thing he said there are only two examples shubhendu to the mother and the mother to shubhendu So, if anybody ever told that Shubhendu said something, and someone said mother has said, oh, in that case, yes, do what the mother has said. He didn't try to, you know, logically justify or say, but you know, nothing. Look at the mother on the other hand. That when the 
entire, you know, we think this is my house, this is my place, this is me, me, me. When the entire ashram, when Shubindu physically withdraws, 1950, 51. So people ask, um, uh, mother writes to her son, Andre, their letters. She says, you know, now we have uh, so many bullocks, so many cows, so many buildings. And then she makes it a point to write. But you know, they have put it in my name, but all this is Shurabindu. I know you understand, but just in case. You know what is just in case? If a property is in your name, the son can claim it. She knows, say, I know you will understand, but just in case. Then, Shurabindu's brother, his son, writes a letter. Now that Shurabindu is not there, the entire ashram property is mine. I can lay a legal claim now. All the devotees, they are, you know, perplexed what to write. Shurabindu's nephew. So they can't even just, you know. So they ask the mother, mother, he has written a letter that the entire property is mine. What should we reply to him? Nalini Da is waiting. Mother says, tell him to come and take it. Can we ever imagine? Tell him to come and take it. He never came. See, this power of renunciation, Tyagrajan, he leaves an entire field where he is considered so important for work. Shubhindu takes a complete radical change and he goes to Pondicherry. Implicit obedience. And when the British government offers a bait through the French government, we'll give you a place in Algeria. Again, he consults the inner guide. And he says, no, I am not going to budge an inch from here. So such obedience, such surrender to the divine. And for him it was, I would, if I may put it, little more difficult because it's his inner divine. <laughs> divine within. But he knew that it will be so difficult. So he, they left volumes of works. If you really read through it, there is no ambiguity about anything. What that surrender, what that obedience means with Mother and Shobindu's works. So he's in own example with all the money that was available. How was he living? With kerosene lamp, with litter on one light lamp has come. That too when Mother was coming first time. Then suddenly the courtyard was lit with an electrical bulb and people knew someone special is coming. Who is coming? Two European yogis. That's all they knew. For Mother he is lighting a lamp. And in that little lamp, his typing literally gave his eyes to give us sight. Literally, he gave his eyes toward the end to give us sight. Completely forsaking his own comfort. Much later, a table fan was put. Which there is such a funny story that, you know, he didn't know how to manipulate the buttons. You know, sometimes the Lord plays at being completely ignorant. And it's so beautiful because it gives a chance to others. So he looks at Champaklal quizzically that, you know, what is to be done? And he just does something. And Shivinda says, oh, it's that simple? It's that simple? Never pushing himself forward. A letter, I suppose this has to be posted. That Shivinda, days after days, night after night, pouring count, endless love and compassion on disciples. And they are still blaming him. You didn't reply to my letter. It's two days. Are you taking holiday sabbatical on Sunday? People had the temerity to write this. Huh? Shubhinda is not getting annoyed. How dare you? <laughs> he is right with a sense of humor. He says, if you saw the avalanche of correspondence lying at my desk, even the stone-like heart of, heart of a disciple like you will melt. <laughs> Please come and see what's lying on my desk. Thanks to all that we have. And apart from my other main work, which is getting delayed, he was looking at the future, preparing it. So much silent action. So, their life, if we just read Tyagrajan and Tapasya, what is Tapasya? Entire energy is diverted only in one. You know, we write a book. And we want the name to be acclaimed. We are very happy when we are given all the awards. 
Padma Bhushan, Padma Vibhushan and Bhat Ratna and all so many awards from so many places. Look at Shurabindo when in UK people have collected money to prepare a crown for, for him and Shurabindo says when they write to him he says well let the kingdom come the crown can wait. And then when he sees that the world is still in love with its own darkness and ignorance mother says he did not blame man he plunged into this darkness. And that is what is the mystery of 5th December. That is the penultimate sacrifice, the tyaga. He could just renounce all the experiences, plunge into the subconscious. When we read his life, it's such a, it teaches us how to, what it means to give oneself to the divine. All our idea of giving from tonsuring the head to some money and that too we proclaim so much. You know, how many years, some people have heard, how many years I have been in the ashram, I have left so much behind. <laughs> Not one moment, Shribindu would say that, except one letter passingly when he tells to one of his disciples, you think uh, mother and myself would not have gone, were searching for flesh pots in Egypt? He was being offered, being member of parliament and all those things. So if we just read his life and read it in this way, there are two ways to read any script from the origin to the end or from the end to the origin. So some people start the wrong way and we know what I am referring to. There are two ways to read a script from the front page to the last and there is other which starts reading the reverse way. So you know how we read? Oh, Shurabindo wanted the supermind, but where is supermind? And there is no new creation. Now they start with this premise in the mind. They start reading Shurabindo. And so the perception is colored. But if we start from the other premise, it's the divine who has come and he is working out a new creation, goes through all these stages and his last 5th December is his last Poonahuti, the great cosmic sacrifice. So that the supramental consciousness can descend much earlier, manifest much faster, then the whole meaning is changed. And Shubhinda speaks about it in Savitri, that you know, in reverse, reading the script, the divine script. So, when we look at just his life, his own example, and right till then doing the works, somebody asks Shubhinda, says, um, you know, I want to serve you. Good, sounds very good. But I am put in the dining hall hall where I have to serve the sadhaks. I don't want to do that. I want to serve you. You know, Shubhindu's reply, in that case, mother and myself are also serving the sadhaks because I am writing letters to them and countless of their problems we are solving. So he's correcting this attitude that we are not serving the sadhaks. We are serving the divine. doesn't matter where we are. When, you know, we get so much carried away when big people, big personalities come. These small little things, so much to learn. When Mohandas Karmachand Gandhi has to come and Dilip Kumar Roy and uh, particularly Govind Bhai uh, Patel, he is so excited. You know, he has written a book, uh, I am forgetting, towards the light to super light or something. No, that's Motilal Roy. This is another. But I mean, anyways, Govind Bhai. So he writes to Shurabindu. He stayed for a few years in the ashram, then went away. But he remained a devotee. Very beautiful book he had written. Beautiful experiences. So he says, I believe he is coming. So he wants to meet you. He says, no, 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 no. Please tell him, no. Why? Now imagine, somebody would be happy. Such a big figure is coming. He said, no, no, no. Because it will be so much propaganda. He will bring all kinds of people to visit. And there will be nothing else but propaganda. And that's not what I want. And he says very clearly, I don't believe in advertisement and propaganda. Except for politics and patent medicine. Shobindu's humor will come everywhere. But for a serious work like mine, it is a poison. It means hundreds of thousands of useless people join and spoil the work and the truth which is descending. That's what has happened to religions from which truth has receded into the secrecy of its silence. I don't want to repeat the old fiasco or to give the old wine in a new bottle. So it's so powerful, you know. Instead of saying, okay, very nice, now and that's where he wrote a series of letters 
people get very excited if somebody comes, Tagore had come. There are few exceptions Shobindo had made and he had his reasons. One was Tagore and the other was uh, K.M. Munshi. K.M. Munshi was of course his student. And with Tagore, he said he is a wayfarer on the same road as ours. But people were very gaga over Tagore's coming. No, they were very excited. So write to Shobindo. Oh, you know, he is coming. And Shobindo says, I don't know what is wrong with you, Sadhaks. That you get so much excited whenever Tagore or somebody else like that you hear coming. But the prestige of an ashram does not stand by these things. It stands by the spiritual consciousness that the sadhaks cultivate. And even there he is describing how to behave with uh, at the people who are at the gate duty. How you should be when people are receiving because you are the front people which people come in contact with the ashram through you. How you should be at the gate. How you should deal with the bullock, bulls, bullocks which are there in the ashram. So many things that we see. Eating, one of the commonest things. And you know, this story particularly touches, we all know, in jail when Shrivinda was served, Lupsi, it's a kind of, basically, like a khichdi, okay. Khichdi is a simpler thing to understand. And some days there will be no dal in it and uh, there is a kind of preparation of rice it's pure white some day there will be dal in it and some day there will be lentils also vegetables and he says these are three examples of Brahman there is the Shuddha Brahman pure Brahman then there is Hiranyagarva Hiranyamaya that with lent, with dal and the third one is Brahman is manifesting in himself because there are some strands of vegetables in it and then we see that you know uh, one day when food is served, how he could delay. Food is coming for the head of the institution. Everything is in his name. And breakfast is coming at 9, then 11, then 1 o'clock, Shubhinder is waiting. He's not complaining. And then at, you know, point of time, one day there was no uh, salt in it. And Shubhinder didn't say anything. He ate. Later on when he was asked, but there was no salt in it. He says, yes, I know. But then you took it, yes, because there is an ananda of tastelessness. When he falls and fractures his feet, he says, I was working to transform the pain into delight. Everything turning towards yoga. That's why when he writes that aphorism, turn all things to honey. That is the rule of divine living. Once he gave the mother charge of the yoga and the ashram, Shubhindu would completely what, whatever the mother decided was the last word for him. So when we look at Shubhindu's life, I could go on endlessly. There are so many countless stories. But the whole thing, you know, even people want to, you know, retire more and more in meditation. Shubhindu, even before he comes to Pondicherry, he is a Jeevan Mukta. He has realized the divine everywhere. And yet, he is sitting in a meeting. He is full of that inner peace, that state of equanimity, endurance, faith. Everything that he has asked us to follow on the path of yoga, when we read Shurabindo's life, we discover it so naturally, spontaneously. It inspires us. And there is an influence. And what is more important is that we come in direct contact with Shurabindo when we read about his life and reflect upon it. I can say this with very personal example. Earlier days, when I used to read Ramayana and of course Bhagavatam, but now when I read Shurabindo's life or even when you write something, one of the books, couple of books which are so wonderful, one of course is The Adventure of Consciousness and the other is of course uh, Rishabh Chand, Shurabindo, his life unique. There are a few others which are also beautiful. But most important is, this is a very simple, direct way of coming in contact with Sri One is through the teachings and the second is God's own example. So this is a beautiful day and a beautiful opportunity to dwell upon his life. There was a message that mother gave some time um, on one of the 14th August. Let me just see if I can... Find that. It's very beautiful. Yes. She says that this evening we should just. Ah. 
so this is uh, you know very special day and in 1957 the mother gave this she used to give playground talks two talks are very powerful one of them she doesn't give a talk says i just want to tell you the power the um, danger, danger of gossip and she says it's like a spiritual suicide if you gossip and slander and use a language which is very uh, filthy and unbecoming it is like spiritual suicide that was one but the second one which she gave on 1957 14th august i think with this we can close this evening instead of answering questions i would like us to meditate on the remembrance of shirbindo on the way to keep it alive in us and on the gratitude we owe him for all that he has done and is still doing in his ever luminous living and active consciousness for this great realization which he came not only to announce to the earth but also to realize and which he continues to realize so he is the forerunner he is the one who is realizing is he is the future and the future came fast forward to take us fast forward on a leap so he is the future who took a present who entered into the present rescued the past released the present from all its entanglement and opened the doors to the future and continues to realize it tomorrow is the anniversary of his birth an eternal birth in the history of the universe when she was asked to elaborate she said what is meant by eternal birth she says you can understand it on several levels so mentally it is a birth that will be remembered as long as history lasts psychically it is a birth which recurs from time to time so it is sambhavami yuge yuge that's what it means spiritually it is the birth of the new consciousness of the divine who takes the human body physically it is the divine it is the birth of the eternal in a human body and this birth of the eternal in a human body literally means there is a direct contact with matter and even if there was nothing let me put it no works nobody knew that's what the mother says the avatar even if none knew he would do the work that he came to do how direct contact with matter even if nobody knew even if he wrote didn't write a single book even if none knew about the supramental manifestation yet the fact that the divine assumes a human body that itself would be enough to take this earth to the next step with these lines of savitri we can close the absolute the perfect the immune our mask of imperfection he has assumed is measure in the human measure cast that we may to his divine measure rise so why he has come to do this he is here paying the debt of earth and man and then he says we are sons of god and must be even as he his human portion we must grow divine our life is a paradox with god for key so he has come and given the key to us mother has opened the door for us she has become the bridge she has cooked the meal made it ready all that we need to do is to walk closing with this message of the mother the door is open you have only to step in thank you